The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. You're watching Scorebox. Your headlines this hour. The Japanese government confirms academic Kazuo Ueda as its nominee to lead the Bank of Japan, with market watchers expecting the new governor to keep policy loose but put an end to yield curve control. U.S. markets rise ahead of today's CPI print, with investors hopeful for signs of further easing in inflation stateside, even as Fed Governor Michelle Bowman sticks to the central bank's hawkish script. European finance ministers welcoming signs the bloc could be on course to dodge a recession, with attention now turning to the region's heavy debt burden. Commissioner Valdis Dombrovskis tells CNBC the EU economy is resilient, but growth remains slow. We still need to deal with issues related with high energy prices, high inflation. So there is no time for complacency. We need to stay the course. And top US and Chinese officials reportedly way holding face-to-face talks as soon as this week at the Munich Security Conference with tensions ramping up over spying allegations. So, did you sort it all out? Uh, what exactly? <laughs> what exactly am I sorting out? Rose petals and oh, chocolate yeah, yeah. spread strewn, over the pillow strewn. of Mrs. Cutmore yeah, for when she wakes up. No, did you? <laughs> well, not for Mrs. Cutmore, did? Well, that's lucky. That's lucky. Although it might have saved me a task. But uh, we no, will, no, we will no, catch no. up with it. No, it's in the post for Mrs. C. Uh, no, no, Mrs. Sedgwick. Oh, yeah, it's all there. Yeah, it's good. all there for when she wakes good. up. Don't wake her this morning. That right. would not be love is in the air. Would it not? No. I've been a lot of tr- been a lot of trouble waking Mrs. S up at 3 a.m. Right. I'll get a right hook. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, gentlemen, a lot of you, um, your wives aren't up yet, so you've got about an hour, roughly, uh, London time. So to sort it out, gentlemen, you, it will not do you a good job if you forget, even if they say, oh, don't worry about it. I once did uh, garage flowers. Did you? How did that go? <laughs> Did you have to take them back? All I can say is, it's an ex-girlfriend. Right, OK. <laughs> it didn't good. go too well. No, no, I don't think that works. I think Shell have up their act since then, though. Have they? Um, now, talking of love is in the air, because, uh, of course, it's Valentine's Day. Um, talking of love is in the air, I was hoping that love would be in the air with the Tiss and Crook numbers this morning, but right. I'm afraid that is not the case. Uh, we've literally just had a data dump of Tiss and Crook numbers and the German warships to car parts conglomerate. I'm afraid uh, operating profit, first quarter, down 33% on lower steel prices. Uh, first quarter sales, flat, flat at 9.02 billion euros versus the refinitive estimate of 8.85, so mildly mm. better. Mm. But unfortunately, the ardour in the numbers, if there was any, which there wasn't, uh, has been doused straight away by the CFO who says there is limited visibility, uh, limited visibility in respect of future economic developments. I'm afraid to say, if you're going to have some pretty downbeat numbers with a 33% decline, you want to give some people a little bit of hope on the outlook as well. But I'll give yeah. some more numbers. They expel, uh, still expect 2022-2023 free cash flow before M&A to at least break even. Again, not exactly overwhelming the long 
holder of Tyson shares at the moment, and we'll come to how what a drubbing they've had in a moment. Uh, at least break even versus negative uh, 476 million euros in 2021-2022. So that, that, that's at least better. But net profit down 31% at 75 million euros. I've mentioned the limited uh, economic uh, developments visibility. And I'll just give you one more. Um, they still expect adjusted EBIT 2022-2023 to be in the high, mid to high three-digit million euro range versus 2.1 billion euros in 2021-22. So underwhelming. Have you got, lovely producers, a long-term chart for this one as well? Because it's one of those titans of Europe that you'd kind of hope would be recovering at some stage or finding. And there is the five-year. And that is exactly the chart I wanted to show. So thank you, team. 69% lower over the last five years. There's some really disappointing lines in here as yes. well, isn't there? The order intake down 12%. Again, you know, at the moment, we are looking at companies that could be defence-related to be spiking, ultimately, in terms of the order book, because we know that there is a very hot conflict taking place on the European landmass. And largely, there is a repricing going on of the defence sector. And you look at some of those US defence ETFs, and they've had a significant pop. Maybe some of that's down to the activity around shooting down balloons. But by and large, anybody that's in the um, part of the process of manufacturing armaments, whether that's making the steel or making the finished tank, you would have thought they would have enjoyed something of a, an improvement in share price performance recently. The other thing that I thought was very interesting here is they talk about the hit due to lower materials prices. And again, on a day when we're waiting for significant inflation news, that just seems to run against the rub of the green for what we know about price increases, particularly semi-finished and factory gate prices in Germany. Mm. So again, some, some, some odd, yeah. odd notes I, I coming agree. out of ThyssenKrupp this morning. I Totally agree. And, you know, I don't mean to be down on ThyssenKrupp. You know, we want to see the European Titans doing well. But we, we're going to speak to um, one of the uh, senior people over at Billfinger in a few moments' time. And I don't want to reveal too much because we're speaking to Thomas Schultz in a few moments' time, who's the CEO of Billfinger. Uh, and I'm sorry, the numbers do not tell the same story that we're seeing at Tissom. I'll just go through a couple of these because I know we've got to move on. Orders received up 14% organic growth as well. Revenue up 14% organic growth as well. Um... The numbers themselves, free cash flow up from 115 to 136 as well. So there are parts that are okay. There are parts that are very, very good. And mm. I will just draw the attention to the double digit growth in revenues and orders received over at Billfinger. Different part of the spectrum, different yep. part of the equation. But again, another big German industrial who's showing slightly different picture from Tissen. So here I ask the question, which I've asked about Tissen many times, yeah. which Annette has been pouring over for years, which you've asked, mm. how many of Tissen's problems are the broader economic environment or how many of them are the still uh, catching up structure of ThyssenKrupp, which is still, still not quite where it wants to be in the 21st century? No, I think it's very pertinent. And the, the industrial services group, Bill Finger, you would have anticipated maybe that they would have had a, bit, a better environment, particularly because I'm sure a lot of their contracts are long term and locked in. 
Um, but we'll have that conversation with Thomas Schultz. Yeah. It'll be very interesting to find out what he has to say about the business. Um, let's move on to the uh, latest news coming out of Japan. The Japanese government has formally nominated now Kazuo Ueda to succeed uh, Haruhiko Kuroda as the governor of the central bank. The 10-year JGB trading at the top end of the 50 basis point tolerance range with the central bank under pressure to end Kuroda's yield curve control policy. Now, with core inflation at its highest in more than four decades and public debt to GDP at more than 260 percent, Ueda faces an uncertain path to normalizing Japan's monetary policy. That is an understatement, if ever you heard one. Japan's economy grew less than forecast in the final quarter of last year, with annualized GDP growth coming in at 0.6 percent versus expectations for a 2% gain. The figure puts pressure on incoming Bank of Japan Governor Ueda as he looks to bring inflation down to target. Well, JP Ong joins us with more on the story. And, and JP, in the past, the uh, actions of the Bank of Japan have been likened to me as to one of those, um, uh, uh, you know, fairground uh, attractions or, or um, one of those jugglers who is spinning plates and you keep adding more plates and the canes get wobblier and wobblier and so, at some point you worry that the whole thing comes tumbling down and that is the challenge here isn't it for Ueda-san because the minute he indicates that he might be interested in removing this yield curve control you get the sense the bond markets will be on him immediately. Yeah, you're right, Jeff. And there are signs that perhaps the bonds markets are earlier responding to the potential of him taking away this yield curve control policy that the Bank of Japan has tried to um, implement. And when you talk, when you liken this to, um, you know, the, the governors at the BOJ having a multitude of plates that they're juggling and hoping none of them break, well, definitely the yield curve control policy, definitely not the easiest thing to maintain. So far, you're seeing that yields in Japan at the moment, especially around the shorter and midterm, the two-year, the five-year, actually trading higher today on the prospects. And mind you, again, this is the belief that he might kick off a potential uh, loosening or scrapping of that yield curve control policy. You're seeing yields starting to react. And also the 10-year, take a look at that straddling on the edge of that 50 basis point uh, cap that the yield curve control policy tries to uh, maintain for the most part. No one's really going over that at the moment in Tokyo, but still you're starting to see people starting to perhaps uh, attempt a potential staring contest with the BOJ with regards to this. Now we have to remember that Kazuo Gueda, who was once on the, on the uh, policy board or a board of advisors for the Bank of Japan, did also weigh in against and caution against possibly raising rates in Japan. He did write in a recent op-ed just a couple of months ago that uh, that it's uh, it's uh, it's quite uh, dangerous actually to try and hike rates just because you see a momentary spike above the two percent policy target of the Bank of Japan. So perhaps he might be in favor of keeping rates actually low, but there is a chance also that he might scrap that yield curve control policy that is sending yields higher so far in today's session, at least in these parts of the Japanese yield curve, uh, the JGB at least. Um, we do want to take a look at how this is also impacting the Japanese yen, because again, if we start to see yields rise up in Japan also, we are seeing also the Japanese yen starting to take a little bit of strength. Here you have it at about 131 spot 95 against the greenback, taking just a little bit of a firmness and flexing just a little bit on the prospects of Mr. Ueda perhaps succeeding Haruhiko Rodo when his term ends actually on April 8th. But here's the interesting Thing. Whenever you see the yen actually take some strength, it does weigh in Japanese exporters for the most part. But take a look. A funny thing happened on the way to the Japanese markets this Tuesday. 
Okay, and you will see that the, so far the two main equity benchmarks in Japan, despite the yen taking on that significant strength, are actually moving higher. In fact, the Nikkei 225 looking quite solid, up by about six tenths of a percent at 27,602. The broader topics up by about eight tenths of a percent at 1,993. Now, it might not be so much about the Bank of Japan. We are seeing most indices in Asia moving cautiously higher ahead of that U.S. CPI report that could hint at the Fed, perhaps, see, perhaps hinting at, uh, at inflation starting to show signs of decelerating in the United States and could also lead to an easing of those rate hikes that could bode well for equities. But so far, we're seeing at least uh, a breaking of this uh, relationship where the stronger yen tends to weigh on the Nikkei 225 so far in today's session. So, so far we're seeing the FX markets and bonds reacting to the prospect of Mr. Kazuo Ueda perhaps succeeding Haruhiko Roda as the next BOJ governor. And maybe, just maybe, we might see the abandonment or the scrapping of that yield curve control policy that's proven very challenging for the folks at the Bank of Japan really to maintain over the last couple of years. Back to you. Yeah, you get yourself in. You have a policy, but then you can't get yourself out. How many times have we done that in our lives, everybody? Right, thank you, JP. Excellent analysis, as ever. Right, moving on, the Fed Governor Michelle Bowman says the central bank will need to keep raising interest rates and hold them at a higher level for some time in order to tame inflation. Heard that before, haven't we? Her comments are the latest amongst the raft of hawkish Fed speak, but Bowman did say the fact that the labour market remains resilient whilst inflation is easing means a soft landing is still possible. Got to say, lovely to hear what Michelle Bowman had to say, but tell me, ladies and gentlemen, is there anything in that that you haven't heard a hundred times before? And yeah, isn't it? It's, it's new every time, isn't it? Uh, we're all looking at the inflation print, really, aren't we? That, that's where it's at, isn't it? Well, today's closely watched US inflation print is expected to show price pressures continuing to moderate on an annual basis. January CPI seen rising by 6.2% year on year, according to Dow Jones. Now, CPI is forecast to rise 0.4% a month versus 0.1% increase in December. But it's the core that a lot of you are looking at. So I'll just tell you, we're looking for a core figure uh, with a five handle, somewhere between around about five and a half, five point seven 5.7%. percent would be very acceptable to the markets. And I will tell you about these markets. We'll move straight on to them because, well, look at that. Good rally, eh? Solid rally. Microsoft, a vast proportion of that, putting on 54 points of that 376 in the Dow. Large amount of the S&P and the Nasdaq as well. And yet, if I asked you honestly to tell me why the market rallied yesterday, there isn't actually a really tangible reason, apart from two things. One, looking backwards, i.e. the market got a bit of a drubbing last week, and I guess a few people thought, interesting opportunity uh, to pick up a bit of stock, slightly cheaper than it had been after the rally we saw at the start of January. I think. And the second reason is, in anticipation of the aforementioned CPI data, i.e. looking backwards and looking forwards, but nothing particularly tangible yesterday. Please, if you think otherwise, tell me why you think the stocks were being bought yesterday. I think people were looking for the opportunity because of the previous downtick and they don't want to be caught short if we do have a better print on the CPI today. Really, there was little to get your teeth into yesterday. Again, if you think otherwise, get in touch with us. We're always open to new ideas. Uh, treasuries. Well, again, this inversion, this 1981 level of inversion still there pretty much. 4.5% versus 3.697. So despite what Michelle Bowman is saying, it's the same story, isn't it? The market is playing chicken longer down the curve, saying recession's coming, rates will have to change. But at the moment, steadfast two-year yield at 4.5%. The dollar, the dollar lost a bit of ground, having gained 0.6% last week, down 0.3% on the dollar index. And that led the pound to rally to 121, the euro to rally to 107.35. And the dollar yen, well, to do very 
little really because they still don't know what to make of Oeda Sun and I don't think any of us will for a long time to come. The dollar yuan trading 6.815 as we speak. Asian indices look like this. Nikkei reversing previous day's gains up seven tenths of one percent, six tenths of one percent. Hang Seng mildly easier uh, and very little of note from the Shanghai Composite and the ASX 200, Mr. Cutmore. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. So let's move on to this Bill Finger story. The Industrial Service Group posted a 14% rise in full-year revenue with order backlog growing by 9%. The German construction company expects to post up to 4.6 billion euros in revenue this year. In terms of the fourth quarter net line, it was a loss of 6 million euros against a net profit of 66 million a year ago. Let's get to Thomas Schultz. He is the CEO of Bill Finger. Thomas, good morning and welcome. And just talk us through that quarter then and what some of the challenges might have been. There are actually no challenges. Actually, we had a, fine, a really good finishing of the year. If you talk about the losses on the, on the profit line, that's based on an investment into the future, the efficiency improvement program, which cost us in the quarter where we made a provision of 62 million euro. And that's the reason. We actually had a very fine quarter. Uh, a net profit loss is a net profit loss, Thomas. Um, I, know, I understand the point that you're making, but the market will look at it. Um, let me move you on and let me ask you about the order backlog at this point then. What does that tell us about the longer term run for this cycle here? Because as you know, the market is getting nervous about a downturn in economic activity globally. Yeah, actually what we see is that the... The market was by far more nervous up to October, November, and then we saw quite a good finishing in the year and actually quite a good start for this year too. So what's the reason for it? Um, we as Billfinger, we support companies to expand their capacity as well as they have to decline the capacity. So we are actually in all areas. So for us, growth is quite good all over industries. It doesn't matter if we are on a site producing ketchup, diapers, oil and gas, the activity level is actually quite good. Volatility, yes, that's high. Thomas, very good morning to you, sir. Lots to discuss, including your free cash flow. The market loves a good free cash flow story at the moment. I'll just confirm what you're going to do with the, the, the added free cash flow and if you see that as a developing trend which you can sustain. This is management's main task in the financial area that we have a good, sustainable, profitable growth and with that delivering a good cash flow. We promise to the market to be above the 5% EBITDA in 2024 and we will deliver that. And we are targeting to have a cash conversion of more than 80%. So what are we doing with the cash? We will finance our organic growth. We will look into M&A and of course, very important, we have a proposal for a dividend payout of 1.3 euro. There's some very interesting areas of the market that potentially Europe as a, as a, as a block has as a great challenge. And, and your company addresses some of them actually spot on. Uh, markets of energy, petrochemicals, oil and gas. And are we as a block, are you part of some form of um, 
self-sufficiency that's going on that's actually looking at global supply chains and saying, hang on a second, we can't trust the Russians anymore. We need to bring business back home. I know you've had your own Russian adventures, which you've had to uh, obviously diminish the importance of as well. But is Europe getting better at bringing supply chains home, do you think? Absolutely. And there are two main things what customers are focusing on. One is the efficiency improvement and the other one is to get more and more sustainable. If it comes to efficiency improvement, it's about getting more independent from price variances in the energy supply, labor inflation, the wage inflation, inflation in general, and shortages and problems in the supply of the raw material what they need. So they look very much into getting that under control. We as Bilfinger, we help customers to manage that better. We can save energy costs. We can take over regarding the labor part and having enough competent people. We have more than 30,000 in all the areas where we are. And of course, helping customers to work each day on improving their energy efficiency. Yeah, and there's no doubt about it, uh, Thomas. Companies are taking the mantle and doing it themselves. Are you getting any support from the likes of von der Leyen in Brussels or Herr Scholz in Berlin as well to actually act as a guiding hand for corporations to help Europe in these initiatives as well? Or is it literally just every man and woman for themselves? Yeah, actually, the, I think the industry is more on their own in that. The political area, what we have in Europe, is quite yeah, diversified. Let me say it like that. And it's fairly difficult for our clients to deal with that. Energy prices up, energy prices down, nuclear up, nuclear down, gas up, gas down. It doesn't make it easy for our clients to deal in such an environment. Then it's important for them to give a part of their work on the site, on the plants, on the existing assets to an outsourced company taking over and driving the efficiency. And especially if it comes to the raw material, energy cost wages, labor to get stabilization to the clients. So Brussels, as well as Berlin, in that case, is definitely not supporting. And Thomas, let's let's bring you back to where we started this conversation, which is about the steps that management is now taking to streamline the business. Just walk us through that and what it will mean for the cost line going forward and for your ability to deliver higher margin. We decided to position Bilfinger into the efficiency and sustainability spot to be the number one in North America, Europe and Middle East in industrial services. When you have that as a target with a midterm target, 25 to 27 with six to seven percent EBITDA and a good growth of four to five percent per annum over that period of time, you have to see that your own company is very efficient too. So we decided to announce in November an efficiency improvement program, which will decrease administrative structures in the company, which is simply too big and too costly for that what we are doing. That program will bring us 55 million savings. A big important thing of that is that 25% of these 55 million euro savings will go back into training and education because the competence of our people in industrial services makes the difference for the client. Yeah, one Thomas, just briefly, we um, looked at some ThyssenKrupp numbers this morning before we came to you. And what was interesting, I think, was how steel prices down. They talk in the numbers about some of the challenges on pricing. And actually, these challenges are about falling prices rather than rising prices. What are you actually seeing at the moment in terms of input costs? 
actually, we see, of course, pressure on the on the wages, which is fair. Inflation is there. The people have to get a fair um, wage and to compensate for that what happens in the market. But generally, our business where we are in is actually fairly, fairly well. We see, of course, on the client side, these situations, no matter if it's steel price or energy cost up and down, doesn't matter. We see a high volatility on their side, but actually that helps us to drive our growth, to drive our revenue and to drive our EBITDA. Why? Because they come to us if they want to expand as we see it, if they go in the chemical industry out of Germany and going and investing more in North America, we are their partner. If they then, for example, decrease capacity in Germany, we are their partner too to help them to do so. So Billfinger is actually working on both ends of that cycle. Important to say is that that what we saw in the third quarter, that the industry is slowing down and talking a lot about the recession, didn't come out at the end of the fourth quarter. We saw actually quite a good business environment at the end of the fourth quarter. Thomas, one more for me. Um, I was at a, an industry conference uh, from a company that has overlapping and rival services, should we say. Uh, and I was looking at this blooming great turbine that was, I don't know, $20 million worth or whatever it was. Uh, and the exciting thing about this turbine was it was designed for the gas industry, but could be converted to hydrogen. And I know this is something you're looking at as well with your Hygrid 2 project and others as well. So how excited should Europe be getting about hydrogen and what are the barriers to greater adoption? Actually, we see the new industry coming and the new industry is green technology. And it will be one of the main items what Europe in the next decades will supply to the world. Sustainable green technology, hydrogen, biofuels, batteries, carbon capture. All these technologies are highly competitive in the world and they will be more competitive. We are in all of these technologies. When you look into today, that's actually a small part of the business, fast growing, significant fast growing. But at the same time, we have a lot of existing assets too, where we have to get more sustainable, more efficient too. And when I talk about existing assets, let's take the city of Munich, having a district heating system, and then with our help, with the help of Billfinger, transforming it in a district cooling system and saving up to 70% energy, 70% CO2 reduction. These are the technologies for the future. If it comes to hydrogen, we have a special project in Austria where we look into the network for gas supply, if we can transform it in a network for hydrogen supply. And of course it's possible. Hydrogen is one of the main energy resources for the future. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.